If you're enjoying Cinema Vino, you can give us your support by subscribing to our podcast on the Patreon app. There, you'll gain access to bonus features, such as many episodes and live stream events, all for a low monthly fee. Just download the Patreon app and search for Cinema Vino, or head over to patreon.com slash cinemavino. Back to Cinema Fino. First Spanish lady. Y'all scallywags. Farewell to the salty dogs. Um, ladies of Spain. Summer chaos is continuing, and this is my pick. Um, chaos got a little chaotic mm-hmm. this, this week. It did. Um, originally, we were looking for The Conversation, which is my original pick. Francis Ford Coppola. It vanished off of most streaming platforms. So... And I think she could gone? you still buy it? No, I couldn't find it where you could buy it. It's like I'm lucky that I own it on DVD. Yeah. I don't know why. Like we were I, gonna be passing it around Todd's uh, you know, it was just gonna be musical cheering it all Much week. like Todd at a party we exactly. just around. I just get passed around. <laughs> but it's like it doesn't make sense bottomed. for us to watch something that you guys can't find out there in the world anywhere. So it doesn't do you any good, it doesn't do us any good. Yeah. So and we're we're here for you. You know, we love you and we wanna kiss your face. So instead, we we did my next a lot of fire in your panties, <laughs> which that joke actually is from our next episode for Black Sheep. Oh, so Gary yeah. Busey, yeah, it all comes it's back to Busey, Busey, <laughs> Bussy, <laughs> Bussy. So we uh, did my next choice down, which was Jaws, which is not a bad uh, alternate, not alternative. a bad bet. Yeah, you know, not a bad movie. Guys, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this. I'm giving this a ten out of ten. I think. Damn, well, me too. Uh, this is one of my top. Probably 20, 25 movies. I've got a list of perfect movies. To me, this is a perfect movie. This is an absolutely perfect movie. This is up movie. there. Yeah. Um, but first, we're going to talk about what we're drinking. Um, yeah. So the random wheel, which, you know, for Summer Chaos, we, we're doing random movies that each of us has picked. So if we pair it with a random, literally completely random booze. We didn't consent to this. Yes. I put... Uh, I put different wines, different spirits on the wheel, on the random internet wheel, spin the wheel, and whatever it does, whatever we get. This was rum. And full disclosure, uh, my first bad experience in life with alcohol was with, was with rum. Freshman in college, I drank a fifth of Captain Morgan and Ooh. ended up in a pool of vomit. So yeah, it I'll was years it. before I could even smell rum again. It was years before I could drink Coke again. I couldn't even drink Coke because it smelled like rum. <laughs> Huh. Is bad. Yeah, that was because you were doing rum and coke, or because coke itself just kind of smells like. I was shooting rum and chasing it with coke. Yep. So that was. I'll do you. Captain Morgan took me to the bowels of hell that night. Uh, yeah, I did much the same with uh, Jack Daniels and IBC root beer. I got hit the same way with Kraken. Really? You ever do Kraken spice rum? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of tastes like gasoline. It got released. The Kraken got released. Mm. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. yeah. Rumble. It's so delicious and sweet, though. At first, you're like, oh, my God, this is well, great. So we, we started with Kraken, and then we went to Kraken. rye whiskey. Oh. And the, the rye whiskey that we went to was rye. It's called R-I, like yeah. rye. Yeah. It is the sharpest rye like I've ever had. Yeah. To where like you drink and you're like, Ugh. Oh. but the Kraken, we started with Kraken, and it Kraken. destroyed our taste buds so much that by the time we got to rye, it was just like nothing. Yeah. And by, by that point, you're just having fun. Yeah, by that point, you're just having, just having a party, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was bad news, Bears. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone's had a bad bad experience with rum. Yeah. Rum is a bad time spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like, you know, my dad was a boxer and in the Marine Corps, and he told me that 
the first time you get knocked down, you never look at the ring the same way. Like once you like hit the canvas, it, the ring never feels the same again when you step into it. That's kind of like alcohol. Once you get knocked down by booze, you never look at booze quite the same way again. You have a new respect for mm-hmm. it. I, I had a new respect for I was cocky as an 18-year-old. I was like, oh, yeah, I can drink whatever the hell I want. So I'm sitting there shooting rum. I I got beat up pretty bad. So for you as Captain Morgan, what was your rum? Uh, Jack Daniels and IBC. It was the combo for me. Oh, Man. so that wasn't rum. But it's, but. you know, there's... The, the thing is, you never want to quit alcohol. You always want to be like Chumbawamba. If you get knocked down, mm-hmm. you get, get up, up again. again. Yeah. yeah. You never want to get, yeah. get down. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, ooh. So, Pissing the night away, though. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. Pissing the night away. What Kids a, don't listen to me. What a beautiful song. <laughs> don't take my my advice. But it was years. It took. It was probably before I really enjoyed rum again. It was probably ten full years after that. Jameson and Dr Pepper was kind of my cocktail at, at in high not high school college. You know, I think ten years was for me as well. Yeah. And then my dad in college, like uh, gin for him. He could he would do gin and tonics and got. Way drunk off gin. We all have, yeah. It, we all that we, that became. We, we all have our, our, our black sheep. Yeah. yeah. You, oh my god. <laughs> you, there yes, you go. Next week. You catch you catch a whiff and you're like, ooh, yeah. Ugh. This this is an, an anathema. Yeah. I mean, this is like garlic. Yeah. To a vampire. You're like this, this was a bad time. Here. I think they Jam- Jameson to, to John Doe has the upper hand. Jameson doesn't have the appeal to me that it used to. Mm-hmm. You know, Irish whiskeys. Ugh. And still, even to this day, I can appreciate rum, but I still taste that night. Every time, it was that bad. Damn. Yeah. Wow. It was a dark and stormy night. So what are it we drinking? Dark and stormy. Uh, so we uh, sampled the Smith and Cross, which is a pot still Jamaican rum. Uh, pot still simply means that it is distilled in a giant copper pot, giant copper vat. Chester copper pot. Exactly. Uh, I will say I don't drink much rum anymore. And somebody was talking as I was taking a sip of this. I took a much larger sip than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> now, while the rum is delicious, uh, all of the hair stood up on my arms, <laughs> and some of your skin crawled yeah, away. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was tasting it for quite a while. So. Yeah. I'm going slow on this. Yeah. Uh, it it tastes delicious, but it it shoots, I got, I it shoots up your nose real now. fast. Yeah, you, you got, smell it too. Quick. You got chills all over your body, and they're multiplying. Uh, they're multiplying. I used I used three. Are you losing cubes. control. It's electrifying. Um, Better shape up. <laughs> so uh, I need a man. Even with three melted cubes, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that just enhances the aromatics. Yeah. Three melted cubes is the name of my band. Mm. Um, that would, that's such a good fire in your mama's panties is my band. <laughs> the result uh, after you distill it in a giant copper pot is going to be a high sugar, high flavored rum. This is very rich. This would be a good cooking rum. Yeah. Ooh, not, yeah. not to insult the rum mm-hmm. because it's you only cook with stuff that's like not great. Yeah. But because of the high sugar, like mm-hmm. you really, there's a lot of The rum would really come through. Yeah. yeah. Um, rums are commonly made all over Central and South America, but primarily you see a lot of them from Cuba, Puerto Man, Rico, Foster, uh, yeah, uh, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Guyana, Haiti. Uh, but you'll also find rums in places like Mexico, uh, United States, and the Philippines. Um, and just like whiskey, in the really good rums, um, the darker brown colors mean that the rum has been aged in a wood barrel. And the longer it sits in the barrel, the more it takes on the characteristics of the barrel. It takes on the darker colors. It'll Oak. Get, oh, it'll get more oaky, smoky flavors, textures to it. Sometimes it'll impart more of a vanilla flavor uh, in mm-hmm. rum. Mm-hmm. Um, clear rum has little or no age on it. It is just 
straight, or it could be in, in in a steel barrel. So what's the actual spirit base? Like, is it grain? Uh, for rum, is molasses. 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 Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's molasses booze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. And uh, or like sugar cane, basically. Yeah. And cheaper rums, the brown, like Bacardi and stuff like that, the and Captain Morgan, the brown is just coloring. It's not actual yeah. age in a barrel. They're just putting brown coloring in there. Um, the brown tastes great. No. It does. Um, and as with a lot of spirits, most rum is going to be uh, stuck into two categories where it's like they can be, uh, you know, used for like this one. This is about a $30 rum. It's more for sipping, yeah. uh, more on the rocks. Yeah. Uh, cheaper rums, you're going to want to do cocktails. This one kind of can be in that both categories. It's kind of a hybrid. You could do a really high-end dark Stormy or rum punch with it if you wanted to. Did you... Buy this bottle for this pod, or did you have it on hand? I bought it for this pod. Oh, because oh, I, I I wouldn't normally keep them rum on hand. It's not really my go-to like whiskey. Right. I just got to warn you guys. I am much like Rihanna in a multitude of ways, but <laughs> specifically in that brown liquor makes her and I act up. <laughs> yeah, it makes your clothes fall off. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, if you're curious, like a dark and stormy is going to be uh, one part rum. Uh, two parts of ginger, and then a squeeze and garnish with lime. Have you um, ever had this rum? Mm-hmm. Pirate. That's, oh, yeah. That was a... Yeah. Pirate? Big seller. Pirate, is that how we say it? I, I don't know. I've heard That's pirate. one of my pop's uh, go-tos. It is very sweet. Mm-hmm. Very sweet. Yes. Some rums can be pretty sweet like that, pretty sugary. Um, not surprising because it derives from molasses. Um, high-end rum punch will be one part dark rum, one part light pr- rum, and four parts of freshly squeezed orange juice, with, or freshly squeezed orange juice, lime juice, and pineapples. Mm. So, oh. yeah. Oh. Tasty. Uh, but yeah, this will run about 30 bucks. Should be available pretty widely. Smith & Cross, pot-stilled Jamaican rum. Um, Actually, that $30 sounds like a fucking bargain, because this is... Goddamn, this is powerful. Yeah. It, it's got some oomph to it. <laughs> yeah, this, this punch is... Oh. Hand me that bottle. What is what's the strumpf on here? This one is. Hold on. I'm gonna go 48 percent, 57 percent. Damn. So, <laughs> enjoy that buzz, my dudes. <laughs> so we're gonna Todd. talk about. Oh yeah, I can Todd pour you guys without actually Todd pouring you guys. Shit. <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch 101 Dalmatians before I drive home, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even 102 Dalmatians. We're going close. Ooh. So. <laughs> Anyway, Jaws. Uh, three Dalmatians with Glenn Closer. Let's go. Jaws came out June 20th, 1975. Mm. Uh, June 20th. Uh, mm-hmm. Summer blockbuster. It was. Along with Star Wars and Superman, this kicked off the modern era of summer yeah. blockbusters. Yes. In the old days, summertime was the time where movies went to die. Hell, yes. They, summertime sadness. They, die they, movies. They dumped movies that just didn't have any. They were Island of Misfit Toys. After this, this became the go-to movie to get, like season for movies, big, giant tentpole movies. Uh, this grossed a whopping $476 million against a budget of $9 million. Damn. On release, this became the highest-grossing film ever made. It surpassed The Godfather. Yeah. Uh, two years later, that it was then surpassed by Star Wars, which then five years after that was replaced by another Steven Spielberg movie, E.T. That's the highest-grossing hmm. movie ever made. So this was this was sort of the the handoff of the was this sort of the start of that like handoff between all the like big top-grossing movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this this time period, uh, these directors like Lucas and Spielberg, of course, they, they were known as the New Hollywood directors. That was the, the, what their Coppola mm. 
And so this was the, their dominant period was the late 70s, early 80s when they just took over the box office. Um, this film was based on a potboiler horror novel by Peter Benchley, who appears in this film briefly uh, as a beachside news reporter who's like, you know, talking about the shark. And oh, yeah. That, that is the author of the book. Um, this movie had a very troubled production. Uh, the mechanical shark, which was nicknamed Bruce, was continuously malfunctioning. Bruce! Which led to Spielberg uh, delaying, by necessity, showing Jaws until roughly halfway through the movie. That actually paid off by building the tension and creating like a monster that you can't see, which actually some people tell you is scarier. Which is a trope that has carried on in multiple movies since then. Mm-hmm. Tremors. Yeah. Land Jaws. Uh, Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The second half of the film is mostly shot in open water, which led to great difficulties of, of its own, caused the film to run uh, behind schedule and over budget, which later on Spielberg would not be known for at all. He was a person who turns in a movie on time and on budget. This one, Well, he was, never filmed on open water again, did he? Yeah, no. And when they were making Waterworld, he called them and told the director. He's like, don't do this. Yeah, and they did it anyway. Yeah. And then look what happened. Go back and listen to our Waterworld podcast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of tension on the set between Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw. They didn't get along at all. Eventually, the author of the book was ultimately banned from the set because he kept suggesting changes to the movie. Um, but despite all this, this become, became a landmark movie, one of the first movies to be uh, selected for the Library of Congress to be preserved. Um, this would launch Spielberg. This was his second major feature after the Sugarland Express. Uh, this was uh, launched him as a major filmmaker, uh, launched R- Richard Dreyfuss as a star, uh, John Williams' score became hugely iconic, built on a two-note motif of E and F. This won him his second of five Academy Awards. So, plot uh, takes place in a North in a New England beach town called Amity, which is kind of similar to Martha's Vineyard to Cape Cod. Gets terrorized by an oversized great white shark, Caritas Car- Car- Carcarinen, I believe is what they call it in the movie. Um, falls on the town's new police chief, played by Roy Scheider, to fight against local bureaucracy to close the beaches and kill the shark. To do this, he turns to two completely different allies in the form of an expert, uh, shark expert, uh, Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfuss. And Hooper. A, <laughs> Hooper. And a salty uh, shark hunter named Quint, played by Robert Shaw. They venture to sea to hunt the shark and quickly find the beast to be smarter and stronger than they ever bargained for. That's what I have for notes. Um, so, have you guys both seen this movie, I'm assuming, before? Yes. 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 Um, yes. Yes. So, yes. Trav, I know this is a favorite of yours. Yeah, uh, I I loved it. I saw it. I think at a, a young age, um, at a friend's house. I think, and and not the entire thing. And I think I saw it again uh, with my dad when I was very young. He I, I walked in and uh, he was watching this, and I guess he was like, "Yeah, he the, the boy can watch." <laughs> the and boy then, can watch. And then I was like, "I don't want to swim anymore. This, yeah. is, this is some bullshit. This will do it. <laughs> Fuck this." So I hadn't seen it for years, and then I think I was in middle school or high school, and anything that freaked me out as a kid, I always wanted to reconfront again uh, at an older age, and it was, it's almost like that, uh, just to see if it affected me the same way, or to see if I could get through it, or see if it was as scary. But when I watched this, I, I realized I had never watched the whole thing. I had just seen it in snippets on like AMC. Uh, and then I would get bored and change the channel or go off and do something else. But when I watched the whole thing, I was like, this is a great fucking movie. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing is just delightful. Um, I really liked um, things I noticed this time that I guess I 
hadn't before uh, is whenever they're leaving in the Orca with Quint, uh, I never quite, I mean, I, I noticed it before, but I appreciate it more this time, where they're, the camera is looking through the jaws of these uh, shark skeletons. It's an awesome shot. Um, and going through, it's very foreboding. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's that's great. I, I don't think I had ever noted it, or obviously I saw it, but I never, you know. Uh, th- it was more poignant this time. You see something new every time you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I was going to ask you guys about, whenever Quint and Hooper are showing their um, wounds that they had and bonding over that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, I have a distinct memory watching this with my dad and it was on TV and Chief Brody isn't saying anything mm-hmm. and then like lifts up his shirt and looks down and my dad goes, oh, he was shot. And I was like, what? That's his appendix. Oh, it was his appendix? Mm-hmm. I know that because my dad, his appendix actually ruptured and he when he was a little boy and he actually nearly died from it. But he had a scar in that exact same spot. Ah. And so that's why it's like, I'm sure if Brophy or Brody, if Brody had been shot, he would have immediately been like, he wanted to chime in with that and kind of help. Like, I'm cool too, guys. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah. But he's looking down almost kind of in shame at that moment of like, nah, she got my appendix scar. Uh, that's why he doesn't see, have as much knowledge, right? Because mm-hmm. he doesn't have an appendix. Yeah. And I, I, exactly. I watched this. Exactly. <laughs> well, I always thought to myself that like, you know, he lifted it up and showed it, and then he was like, mm, no, I don't want to talk I about it. it. And in my head, I'm like, oh, this is why they decided to move here. Maybe he had, you know, he was a New York cop and got shot, and they were like, nope, fuck this. We're picking up the kids and moving. Mm-hmm. So just you know, dad's little mention of that has changed my whole view of that and, and of Chief Brody. I'm like, nope, he's seen some shit. He's like, nope, I'm going to be a little podunk cop of a little podunk town yeah. and not have to mess with any of that shit. But watching it in uh, what uh, like HD Blu-ray quality, I'm like, oh, I can't really see shit. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a thing? So, uh, and I was watching it this time, really trying to listen to if they ever mentioned he had been shot or if that was a thing in the Jaws sequel. Which the only other Jaws I like is Jaws Two. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not great, but it's much better when, than when they go to Sea World and Three. <laughs> With Lou Gossett Jr. and, and I think what, Randy Quaid. Fourth and then the Shark Roars. Yes. And then there's, yeah, Jaws the Revenge with Michael Caine. But at least, the you know, the wife comes back. But I don't think there was any returning, you know, Jaws human characters for three, right? Mm-mm. That's no. not his. Dennis son. Quaid was in that, I believe. Dennis Quaid, not Randy Quaid. Does Spielberg do Jaws 2? No. Okay, I didn't think so. John Williams came back for two. But Spielberg mm-hmm. did Okay, because he only had to press two buttons. And <laughs> Roy Scheider came back. Uh, great. Million bucks. Here you go. <laughs> Roy Scheider came back for the exact same reason we talked about in Black Sheep. He had no choice. Oh. He had he was under contract. Not enthused. Mm. So, anyway, but yeah, it's funny because it's like the the moment I saw that originally, the what you're talking about, I knew from my dad where he where that scar was. Like that's that's an appendix scar. It's like so that's why it's like oh, I just got this word. Oh, you knew from your daddy. Your yeah, dad didn't say. Like okay. the minute the, yeah. the minute I first saw it, it's like oh yeah, he's looking now. Kind of oh yeah, I just got this. Stupid my dad story. didn't give me any lore to chime in on, on <laughs> Jaws scars. Should I feel <laughs> left out here? Yeah. yeah. But uh, my favorite part of this movie, it, I, the the build up is all great and everything. I just give a shit about uh, Robert Shaw. Awesome. Quint. He's my favorite part of this, and then I I love all like him bouncing off of Hooper the whole time, mm-hmm. and and how uh, what Richard Dreyfuss is such a little kid, just like 
giving like doing faces behind him and mm-hmm. and you know getting all pissed off and be like all right fuck off um and just like what you're saying, like with the, with the shark not being visible and it works in the movie's favor, the fact that Robert Shaw and Dreyfus did not get along works yes. in the movie's favor. Mm-hmm. It actually helps their characters like bounce off each other that much more. It builds that tension. But there's other um, weird stuff like, like uh, I'm a big comic book nerd. So the character Sebastian Shaw, the Black King in the X-Men, the, the Hellfire Club, uh, was based on Robert Shaw. Uh, what? Chris Claremont and John Byrne, whenever they relaunched the X-Men, because the X-Men weren't super popular until, like, Wolverine, Storm, and Nightcrawler and Colossus came along, and people were like, oh, this is good shit. Yeah. Um, and so He's every like time I see Robert Wolverine. Shaw, I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's Sebastian Shaw, Black King, Hellfire Club. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the only other note I have in this. This is a great movie. I love all of their, their methods of hunting. I love all of, like, the... The quiet moments. I love the uh, the shot where uh, it, it's very quiet, and there's Quint up in the crow's nest, like looking down, and he's all like silhouetted mm-hmm. as it's getting darker. Um, I was watching it right before I came over here, and right when um, the shark knocks out their power, and they're kind of watching the light flicker, and then it's totally dark, and you, then you see them stand up, and you see Brody, and you see the the, the window on the other side. There's just so much cinematography in this that are just, it's just lovely set of shots. Um, the cinematographer, Bill Butler, had a deliberate plan where in the first half of the movie on the island, it's very bright and well lit, very colorful. Once they go out to sea and it, the action gets more and more intense, the shadows and stuff, get it gets darker. Well, and you saturated. see more silhouettes. You see it looks more intense and ominous. So, yeah, you see the, like the characters, are, they're tougher to see because they're a lot of times in shadows and silhouettes. Mm-hmm. That was a deliberate choice. And I love the, the camera movement when it's a new scene and they're set up and you know something's probably bad is going to happen, but they're following Chief Brody kind of walking through the, the crowd and he's got to stop and talk to all these people that are talking just random bullshit to him. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay. There's, there's a truck parked outside of my, my shop, but I got to get Exactly. The, hey, he's got to stop parking outside of there. He's like, I've got to focus on this. And you're like... You're, you feel like Chief Brody. You're like, man, would you shut the fuck up? I've got to look over here right now. Yeah. And so they do that several times in the, in the movie. And I, 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 just, I love the setup. The setup is great and the payoff is great. And that's, that's classic Spielberg, too, to layer those scenes like that where they're like three-dimensional scenes where there's lots of stuff going on that you see new stuff. Like a little slice of life. Every time yeah. you watch them. But, yeah, that also totally makes sense what you're saying about his character, like being a cop in New York now. He kind of probably wants this thing of like, oh, there's kids that are chopping up the fences, you know, karate style. And, yeah. You know, like there's just little tiny stuff going on that he probably wants as opposed to like crazy New York stories. And much like with the, the shark being down and they can't show it right away. They're subtle, subtle with the um, with the gore. There's not a lot. Like mm-hmm. they're like, okay, this um, you just this woman was red. drowned on just on the on the beach, and they walk up and you just see Brody with the the guy from the beginning. Like, oh my god, I'll stop here. And you, like, see the, you see the guy blowing the, the whistle. Yeah, yeah, and he he stops. He's, like He's about to yeah. passing out on the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then later on, they're. they're um, Hooper's wanting to see the the body. It's like an duffel bag. Yeah, it's in, in like a little. He's like, okay. Um, he's just like picking up a pick, picking up a hand. Mm-hmm. And it's like left. Well, this around. was not a boat accident. <laughs> so you just see, yeah, you see the. What uh, his little dictaphone? Like his little <laughs> his little earpiece. And I think yeah. before that, you see the black and white photos. 
that Brody is looking at and you're like, oh man, this is, this is pretty bad. Like they, they give you flashes, they lift up the arm and you see a, a bite taken out of it. It's not until you see some guy's leg come off and you're like, oh God. Yeah. And it's not until you get fucking Robert Shaw, RIP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quint, God love you. Which, you know, sadly Shaw passed away not too long after this movie came out, a couple yeah. of years after. He didn't live a whole long. He was part of that generation of British actors who lived hard. You know, it was like him, Peter O'Toole, Richard Burton, um, Oliver God, Reed. Peter O'Toole. I remember when, because we were doing um, Lion in the Winter. Mm-hmm. And Peter O'Toole, we were like, oh, God, he looks so old. He was like 55? He wasn't even that old. He was in the 30s then. Robert Shaw Jesus was in his Christ. 40s when this came out. Christ. Robert Shaw was in his mid-40s. That man looked hard. Yeah. That they, these guys were like packs a day, bottles of booze a day, Jeez. hard living. Um, so all this to say, ten, this movie gets a ten, ten out of ten. ten. This yeah. is this is one of those movies that I measure all other movies against. When I say I'm like, man, I love this movie. I've got to bump it. I give it an eight. It's no Jaws. It's no Godfather. Mm-hmm. You know, Godfather one and two both get tens. Jaws gets a ten. Oddly enough, going through all this stuff, Kill Bill for me gets a ten. Ten. No. It's it's weird how, you know, there's different different genres, different yeah. tiers, but they're all well, glorious. Well, it's like when we do Black Sheep, which will be next week for you guys. When we do Black Sheep, it's like you're not when we give it a score, we're not grading it against Jaws or or Pulp Fiction. We're grading it against Tommy Boy and Billy Madison and Wayne's World. We're grading it against other like movies of its genre. Yeah, comparable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other monster movie or anything is, is standing on the shoulders of giants, and this is the giant. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Kong came out, the 1976 King uh, came out, obviously, the year after this. It did. What would you give that, incidentally, 1 to 10? I love it. I love the costume of Kong. I'm a Kong fan. God damn it. I give it an 8. I know it's not an 8. And that's hard for me because I would give the original Kong a 10. Yeah, the original Kong is, uh, I'd give it a hard 9. Yeah. It's got I'm surprised it's, by that. I figured that would be your book of Genesis for monster movies. It is. It's great, but it's still. It's no Jaws, you know. You know, for the time, I'd give it a ten. But man, we got to take this off stream. I got to think about yeah, this. Anyway, that, that could be a whole other pod. Yeah, that's a, that's a Pandora's box. So, Sean, what do you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, Jaws is a ten. It's it's hard to say anything otherwise. I think um, going back and rewatching it, I think. I'm, I don't even remember the first time I saw Jaws. Mm-hmm. It's it's just one of those movies that has just sort of always existed in the zeitgeist, you know? Yeah. Um, You've always been the caretaker. I've always been the caretaker. <laughs> it's Jaws, going back and rewatching it now, I think I appreciate it so much more because, you know, we've talked a lot about Spielberg. We talked about the Fablemans. Mm-hmm. And honestly, didn't love the Fablemans. Like, it, it felt very circle jerky to me. But going back and kind of seeing how Spielberg sees himself as like playing around with cinematography watching jaws now is like one of his big early movies mm-hmm. it is so cool to see some of the like things he did playing with camera stuff like camera effects yeah the the scene where he's on the beach and there's just like a guy walking past and it zooms in a guy walking past and it zooms in every time like a guy passes in front of the camera it mm-hmm. zooms in a little bit yeah it's just so simple but it's 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 a a very effective way to kind of like build tension in yeah. the movie yeah and but, to see how Spielberg kind of does that early on in like a way that we haven't seen until then. And then when the kid actually gets attacked, the camera zooms in like almost hysterically into Roy Scheider's oh, face. Oh, he, yeah. They do a big Hitchcock zoom, big old like mm-hmm. zoom in while panning out, yeah. you know. Um, Hitchcock zoom, counter zoom, whatever you want to call it. but like, like a pulled focus. 
Spielberg plays with that a lot. Um, I think it's just so cool to see how he like plays around with effects. Because mm-hmm. he is, he's a, he's a kid. He's playing around with what he can do. Yeah. And he's doing stuff that nobody's done before. And I think this movie is where he really comes into his own mm-hmm. and starts doing some of that stuff that's really cool from a cinematography perspective. Even watching it now, it's like, God damn, this is a well-directed movie. It's, it's a well-directed mm-hmm. movie. This is yeah. beautiful. Just really well done. Even though he had all the issues he had on set, you know, there were all the different things. It, It's just Jaws is a standard by which we measure everything else. And he was still a kid. He's 28 years old when yeah, he directed this. Yeah, he was just a little baby. It's amazing. It makes me wonder if he... I mean. If he storyboarded this, or, or if they even called it storyboarding, then if they just had like what flats or slats or whatever the fuck they called it before, if they if they had a general idea of of shots they wanted to get in the can, as OCD as he is, I'm sure that it was boarded out like yeah. they, sketches. I'm sure they were like they would have a, a very, very detailed degree, sketch yeah. it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he is very type A with his visuals. So very, I mean it it comes. I mean it, it, they are very artistic, but they're also hyper meticulous, hyper organized. So, like, for example, it's like a lot of the early shots in the movie are big left-to-right tracking shots. Like when the girl's running to the beach and the guy's running after her, that's a big left-to-right shot. Mm-hmm. You'll see that a lot. Or, like, and that, that's a filmmaking 101 is left-to-right shots feel more natural for the audience because we think Western. We read left-to-right. Left-to-right. Yeah. But then the scenes where, like, Brody is going to run after his son when they find out he's in the water, that's right-to-left. Right right left, yeah. yeah. It goes yeah. the other way. That creates tension and unease. Huh. Because we don't, our brains don't think that way, so it, it, it unsettles us. Man, so Spielberg, I I think it's just this movie has such a big impact culturally that it's really hard to divide it from where we are today as a culture. I mean, Shark Week would not exist without Jaws. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of my favorite horror series, Friday the Thirteenth, I think is largely inspired by Jaws. Yeah, you know, you don't see the monster for seventy percent of the movie. Uh, you don't really know who the villain is until the very end. It's like Jaws is such an iconic movie that it it has echoes and ripples throughout society. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg's not known as a horror guy, nope. you know, but he has one of the most influential horror movies in our time, like in the last 50, 60 years. And he does have a great capacity, though. He, he's not an outright horror movie. I mean, he's definitely not on a Hitchcock level, but a movie like Jurassic Park, he's good at, like, making, like, scary yeah. yeah. Being scary and building tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He does have that skill. He he definitely has it, you know. Uh, does it well. So you're 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. 10. 10. It's, it's so easy to say it's a 10, but you don't appreciate it until you go back and rewatch it. It's one of those movies you really take for granted. It's like, all right, Jaws is back there. Mm-hmm. It has, it, it builds all of those stereotypes, like the stereotypical, like, old fisherman guy who's scraping his nails on the chalkboard in the back. Awesome. And he's saying random shit as he's feeling your hands. He's like, you've been, you've been dealing with money. Yeah. You've been counting, you're money, not a, your whole you've been life. counting money yeah. your whole life. You're not a real fisherman. Mr. Hoopa. There's some of those movies where it feels like it's like a rite of passage that you have to see this. Like, this, this, Oh, you've never seen Jaws. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it. You once. gotta see Jaws. And then you watch it once. You're like, Oh man, that was crazy. And then you're right. Maybe you, you see Jaws. Think about it. Like the next time you're swimming or something like it, it, it'll needle its way in there. I don't one, know if people today would get the same thing. One of my favorite things that Alamo Drafthouse does is they do a um, screening on Lake Travis where you sit in an inner tube oh, and they screen yeah. Jaws Ooh. on an inflatable screen. You told me about this. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I fucking love that. But the thing is, uh, you watch it once, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a good flick. But then I, th- I think the magic comes in, like you were talking about rewatchability. 
is if you see it again on TV or somebody's watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, I can kind of get into this again. That second rewatch is magic. Yeah. Second, third rewatch, just, yeah, awesome. it just well, gets better and, and better. And going back and rewatching it, you really appreciate the tropes that sort of like reverberated through the next 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this movie built, like, that's some bad hat, Harry. It's yeah. one throwaway line that ended up being like a production tagline yeah. for, for Brian Singer. For mm-hmm. Brian Singer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, as soon as I saw it in the movie, I was like, God damn it. Yeah. I've seen that at the end of every single episode of TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So many things. Um, and so I think about like how for me, Howard Hawks, the famous movie director, I've mentioned this many times, but it's like he was asked, what is a classic movie? And he's like, it has three great scenes and no bad scenes. And it's like, if you think of a favorite movie, it's like you're automatically going to go to a specific scene in that movie. Your mind's going to take you to like the a scene that everybody thinks of. And it's like this movie, it's like the three great scenes for me, Robert Shaw scratching his nails down the chalkboard, yep. which has been spoofed over and over and over. A million times. On The Simpsons even, when like Bart is helping, um, I want to say it's Homer get even with somebody and like they're all somewhere and he scratches his fingernails down the chalkboard. Um, that's referenced all the time. Um, them on the boat, and then them on the beach. Then the scene where it was improvised, apparently by Roy Scheider, where it's the first time you see Jaws' full face when he pops, uh-huh. when Roy Scheider's chum in the water, and the shark pops out, and he kind of stumbles back into the galley where Robert Shaw is. And he's like, "We're gonna need a bigger boat. You're gonna need a bigger <laughs> boat." That was supposedly improv. Um, but then to me, the the highlight is salsa shark. <laughs> yeah, clerks. Yep. Uh, Robert Shaw's Indianapolis speech. Yes, which he apparently helped write. Real boat, by the way, U.S. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis, that was a real story. That's a real story. Real story of what happened. Um, yeah, torpedoed by the Japanese, and then that sunk in a matter of minutes. And, yeah, because it was delivering the first battlefield nuclear weapon, it was a top-secret mission. And then for just a... No distressing it had been sent. <laughs> I was hoping you get to bust out your Robert Shaw. Thank you. Um, he So, basically, and it's true that, like, the, the crew went into the water, at and then tiger sharks went on a feeding frenzy and started devouring these sailors. Yeah, trash sharks. They'll eat anything. Yeah, and they were in the water for five days, floating there. Crazy. Till a big, fat PBY come by. <laughs> I'll never put on a life jacket again. 1,100 men went in the water. <laughs> Vessel went down in 12 minutes. <laughs> well, 300 men came out of the water June the 29th, 1945. Travis, but never seen that scene before. We delivered the bomb. <laughs> we delivered the bomb. We delivered the bomb. The yeah. oh, that's great. But it, I, I love also the where he's sitting at the table and has just gotten shit thrown him at him from the, the mother of the dead boy. And he's sitting there like head in hands. And he realizes his son is like watching him. So he starts... It's a nice you know, throwaway moment. Back. And then, you know, what, Richard Dreyfus shows up and is and was like, oh, I'd like to talk to your, your husband. And she was like, so would I. Mm-hmm. And then they have the whole moment there. And you just see Roy Scheider just drunk as shit. And you're like, I'm, I'm having a shit time. And you're like, you're going to want to let that wine breathe. You're like, oh, okay. Like, All right. All right. <laughs> I see. <laughs> like, I'll pick my battles. Yeah. And then at the end, he's like, well, let's go down there and. Cut that shark open. I, that whole dinner table scene, I think, is a good, good or great one too. That is a great scene. Yeah, it. it uh, I, I thought of that one as well. And with a son about that age, I feel that like where he's just imitating everything that you do. Yeah, that's very that hits close to home. So that's um, your third best scene in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. I mean, it's yeah. like it's such a great, uh, and it's funny because it's like watching it now. It's like um, you see that like how Robert. 
uh, Richard Dreyfuss and Roy Scheider, like they kind of treat Robert Shaw like a rube up until that scene, and then they they kind of get a new like in that scene you see they have a new respect for him. Yeah, like, it's like it's sobering. Yeah, you know, hearing it's what like, he's been through. This guy into some hayseed, and he's been through some real shit. And then it's perfect after that <laughs> he starts, you know, ominously singing his song again, and then. Trails off, and then <laughs> Richard Dreyfuss starts singing Show Me the Way to Go Home. You're like, oh, this is great. We're like, hey, we broke it. We're into levity again. And then fucking Josh shows and up. And this is brilliant. I mean, it's just brilliant filmmaking. It's like yeah. it pulls you in one direction and then another. What's Tie me a sheep shank. <laughs> what? There's a, um, god damn it. There's a Joseph Campbell quote that um, humor completes the circle that drama begins. And that's the, the perfect spot. Is like that, That's the idea of a perfect joke. Is when you're talking about something real and something, um, you know, heavy, and then somebody goes, you know, to try to break the tension, they kind of make a joke out of it or, or bring something back. Like that's that's exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just a great film, and I love like how they. I mean, it's a, it was a thing back then of how they would film nighttime scenes during the day. They do a lot of that. They turn the contrast up. And so you, they would film it in like a normal, and then they would just put a blue screen over it. They would, yeah, they would film, they would film sequences in daytime, and then they would turn up the contrast. They would basically turn up the saturation, the contrast, to make it look like night, make it yeah. look like supernatural bright light. There's a lot of that, those scenes in the movie, and they, they, it, it's again, it creates kind of an ominous sense of dread. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this this to me is a perfect movie. I love everything about it, and I never get tired of watching it. Um, it's amazing that Robert Shaw did not win an Academy Award for this. He he was that good mm-hmm. as Quint. Who who beat him out? I don't know. It says it was seventy five. Seventy five Oscars. Yeah. Best Supporting Actor. So look up the seventy six Academy Awards. They'll tell you who won. But um, yeah, the only thing I'm aware of that this one was John Williams's music. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is this is a perfect movie. Um, I'm glad we watched it. It's for for the, this has been the summer of chaos has been a real up and down mixture of movies, and this one this one was probably as good as any movie. This was an up for sure. Yeah, <laughs> especially going next week to Black Sheep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be jarring. But I even love the jawing, shitty mayor. You say? <laughs> <laughs> but then going to Amadeus after that. That's a movie I have not seen in probably twenty plus twenty five years. I'll be really curious to go back and see Amadeus. So Jaws won original score. Uh huh. Uh, original screenplay was Dog Day Afternoon. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Verna Fields, the editor. Um, that was a real early uh, area for women to break into in filmmaking. You had people like Verna Fields, Carol Littleton. There were a lot of famous you know, women editors. And her job, her work in this was amazing. That's one of those things you catch going back and watching again is how well like the suspense and the action is edited together. It's mm-hmm. seamless. Um, that She's one of the kind of unsung heroes of this movie. But yeah, for me, ten out, easily ten out of ten. Ten. If this movie is not a ten, nothing's a ten. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, uh, did you find M- what you're looking. Milos Foreman wins best director for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Fair. Which had okay. the same cinematographer as this uh, film, Bill Butler. Who got uh, the supporting actor? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest also won best supporting actor or what? Best supporting um, adapted screenplay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, Cuckoo's Nest actually was one of the few movies to win the five major Oscars. Jack Nicholson won Oscar for Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Screenplay, and Best Director. Yeah, that's swept. Yeah, so. I can't find Best Supporting Actor. Was that a thing back then? Yeah, it was. 
But I'm not sure if Robert Shaw was even nominated. But he should have been, and he should have probably won. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, anyway, this has been another episode of Cinema Vino. Um, We thank you guys so much for joining us. Farewell, let me do. Smith and Jones. uh, Pot still, a Jamaican rum. Ladies of Spain. It, it's a lot, so maybe just sip this at the beginning of the evening, or maybe as a nightcap, have yourself a little swig of it. For we received orders for to settle back to Boston. And I guarantee you, Quint has polished off a few Never bottles of rum. shall we see again. And actually, he gives Brody some moonshine that he's made. So. Yeah, with George dirty fish, Burns, bloody hands. Sunshine yeah. Boys as Al Lewis. The uh, Sunshine Boys won Best Supporting Actor. George Burns. George, George Burns, yeah. Okay, uh-huh. which, oh yeah, but um, he's no Quint. I mean, I love George Burns, but he's no Quint. Quint, not even nominated. Yeah. Man. Mother puss bucket. So, uh, yeah, great movies, only drunker. And we will see you guys next time for Amadeus. Can I get a... Be sure to listen, rate, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our website is cinemavino.net, and reviews of these films can be found at toddwaffordmovies.com.